As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello everybody and welcome to the Totally Football Show at the Euros. Saturday's action was about one man above all others. Christian Eriksen, Danish star, collapsing towards the end of the first half of Denmark's game with Finland. We all feared the worst. Thankfully, he was soon conscious and is receiving treatment now in hospital. Our best wishes to him for a continued recovery. The game, to many people's surprise, continued a short time later on Saturday evening. And I'm joined now by Tom Williams and Daniel Story to cover what happened in that and in Saturday's other matches, as well as look ahead to Sunday's games. England, Croatia, Netherlands, Ukraine and Austria, North Macedonia. Tom, Daniel, hello. Hi, James. Hi, James. Hi there. Yeah, well, Saturday evening was a it was a dramatic evening. It was at times an extremely traumatic evening but the, the moment when the, the pictures came through of Christian Eriksen with his eyes open and sitting up what a relief that was yeah I mean it was a it was a pretty horrible thing to witness um it was it was very quickly apparent that something serious had happened um from the tv pictures uh and you know, very quickly found myself feeling sick um you know at, at at the um the scene that was that was unfolding and then there was you know a, a very uh anxious period of i don't know what you know 20 minutes or so when uh, you know we you're we just sort of sitting there paralyzed watching the um watching the footage um uh, keeping an eye on twitter looking for updates and then there was that that photo that came through on twitter of, of ericsson being taken off the pitch on a stretcher and um you know seems to be conscious and then the news comes through that you know he's been taken to hospital that he's responding but as ever you're sort of waiting for official confirmation uh, and thankfully that you know that arrived uh, without too much delay so you know within probably I don't know half an hour 45 minutes of, of him collapsing this there was this reassuring news that had come through but during that that period of uncertainty you know we all we all feared the worst uh, and yeah you you were you were you were suddenly reminded of what an insignificant thing football is. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, just fantastic news that that 
the news from the hospital was was positive and obviously we you know mm. we, we wish him all the best and um, wish him a full recovery yeah abs- absolutely i mean i would say that football is significant but some things are vastly more significant just those opening minutes when the stretcher went out to pick him up and he didn't get on it and the danish players formed a screen around him and you just and the minutes seemed to stretch on and you really felt sorry daniel mm. i was just going to say that there have been a lot of people, I think, right, obviously, rightly so, praising the medical staff for doing what they do, which is their job. There is an emergency procedure, um, but they followed that to the letter. So did Anthony Taylor, the referee, dealt with that impeccably. But just a word for Simon Kier, who had the incredible presence of mind in a, a very traumatic and frantic situation to, to get Christian in the recovery position, to kind of organise his teammates, to... You know, by the sounds of it, start CPR on on Christian, and you know, we talk about what an international captain is, and this isn't that. This goes, you know, infinitely beyond that mark. But just the absolute mark of the man to have that composure in that situation, that you know, potentially a life saving situation is just, you know, in, in, incredible. Really, I mean, there's no there's no words that we can say that that sum up just how important the actions of, of Simon were today. Mm. Those long minutes with the the Danish players with their back to Christian as 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 medics tried to revive him. A lot of them were visibly upset in tears. The fans then responding a short time afterwards with this incredible call and response that we've heard of Christian Eriksen's name and then applause and a huge surprise. Then not long after, I think within an hour or so of of Christian collapsing, when the Danish FA announced that the game was continuing. Denmark head coach Kasper Hjulman saying uh, we had two options to play the game either this evening, Saturday, or Sunday at 12pm. Everyone agreed to play today. The Danish players effectively saying they wouldn't sleep anyway, so there wasn't much point waiting to do it on, on Sunday. There's been a lot of comment about the decision to go ahead with, with the game. It, it's a perplexing one. It was very surprising given the extent of the distress that you could see from the players on both sides. I mean, most notably uh, Ericsson's teammates, uh, but also, you know, Finland's players. You, you could see the supporters as well. I mean, the, you know, the the, the anxiety, the, the confusion. Uh, and I, I, I imagine that, you know, most of us assumed the game would be, you know, would be suspended and would have to be played at a later date. So it was it was very surprising. Uh, I felt that they, they went ahead with it. Um, you know, we, we've since learned that, you know, that the, the Denmark players were... Um, were on board with that decision. Um, I think I, I think I saw somewhere that you know they, Ericsson had sort of given his backing to that, um, and, and obviously they wouldn't have gone out and played had there been any serious concern about his condition. So I suppose ultimately it has to be seen as a good thing. But yeah, you, you do have to worry. You, you know, you, you do wonder where their where their heads will have been uh, going out onto the pitch so so soon after. I mean, some of those players were you know were probably in. Uh, a state of shock, I would have thought, uh, given you know the, the the immense emotional anguish that they were subjected to. Uh, perhaps the best thing in those circumstances is to just get out and, and play a game of football and and try and put it behind you. Uh, but yeah, quite a surprising, um, quite a surprising call. Right, well, as I say, there's been plenty of comment for and against. Uh, a lot of people wondering whether decisions like that are best left to to players who are dealing with a, uh, trying to take on board or trying to process. I mean, effectively. Is seeing one of their teammates having a, a near-death experience. What did you make then of what was left of the game and Finland's debut win in their debut tournament game? Yeah, I felt maybe slightly misplaced, but I think if there's enough sympathy 
to go around here. And I, I felt a little bit sorry for Finland in that this was a huge occasion for them and in, in pretty wretched circumstances they did win their first game. I don't think there's any doubt that the Danish players were, were you know, their minds weren't there and, and fully understandably so. But Finland obviously felt that they kind of had a job to do and, and they did that job and they were celebrating at the end and I saw some people kind of say, you know, that's a little bit disrespectful, but kind of having started the game again and agreed to play it and then winning your first ever game at a major tournament, it's, you, you can't stop them doing that. You know, their goal celebration was very muted, was very respectful and clearly the players, the Finnish players had, had been deeply affected by it as had the Danish players, but yeah, I felt a little bit for them because clearly that this day in football is going to be forever defined by that awful incident. Thankfully, not as bad as it could have been, but it isn't going to be remembered for Finland winning their first game at a major tournament, which is a real shame for them. Denmark later on did have a chance to equalise from the penalty spot. Hoybier didn't really do himself justice either. Of course, Christian Eriksen would more commonly have been the penalty taker for Denmark had events turned out differently. Finland then with three points from their first ever tournament game. Their second one is going to be Wednesday in St. Petersburg against Russia. The next day, Denmark will be facing Belgium, by which time we all hope we'll have much better news from Christian Eriksen. A Danish paper indeed, extra bladded, are running with the headline, Denmark lost, but life won, which is a nice summary. Uh, we'll talk about the other two matches on Saturday after this. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Saturday night in Group B. Belgium 3-0 winners over Russia. Romelu Lukaku opening the scoring just 10 minutes in. He added a third later on, dedicating them, of course, to his inter-teammate, Christian Eriksen. He's now up to 20 goals, Romelu, in his last 15 competitive appearances for Belgium, which is pretty remarkable stuff. Thomas Munier with the second. Munier, of course, had come on for Timothy Castagne, who unfortunately had to go off with yet another of these facial injuries that have been blighting the Belgian squad. His one, though, we'll see him, we now learn, out for the rest of the tournament, which is rotten news. What did you make of Belgium's performance? Uh, any big conclusions you'd like to draw, Daniel? Uh, pretty much what we already knew. I think the only doubt before the game was whether Lukaku would suffer without the service of a, a fit Eden Hazard and a, a there Kevin De Bruyne. And, and the answer is that he didn't really. I think he got a little bit fortunate with the first, the vagaries of the offside rule. Um, probably make something that feels unfair fair in my mind which that that goal was a was bizarre if a defender goes for it but misses it or fudges it and it ends up at the feet of a, a player who was the intended recipient of a pass and was offside to my mind that should be offside but but there we go but the second is just absolute 2020 2021 Lukaku it's making it's being quiet for 10 15 minutes pointing to where he wants the ball one thing I really like about him now is that you can see him directing play at Belgium telling players where to play the pass telling them where to make the run the absolute senior pro uh, in that forward line and yeah you know left foot right foot headers don't really seem to matter at the moment it's gone level with with Ronaldo and Zlatan Ibrahimovic for international goals in insignificantly fewer caps than them both which is absolutely remarkable really given the, the mm. kind of doubts around him a few years ago. 
It was a powerhouse performance from Lukaku. What else stood out for you, Tom? I think it was a game that, that showed Belgium's strength in depth. Um, uh, I think one of the question marks going into the game was the fact that they were missing so many important players. Uh, as Daniel said, no Kevin De Bruyne, no Axel Witzel, arguably their two most influential midfielders. Eden Hazard was only fit enough to come on for the last 19 minutes or so. Um, but the replacements, I mean, you know, you look at the calibre of the replacements, the fact that you can call on someone like Dries Mertens, Juri Tielemans, um, you know, they've got absolute top-level replacements. Timothy Castagna is forced off, but they can bring on Tom Amernia, you know, the starting right-back at Borussia Dortmund, who scores the second goal uh, and then sets up the third goal with that, you know, fantastic dart into the middle and then the pass through to Lukaku. Um, I mean, the big caveat here is that Russia were absolutely awful. Um, and, you know, this is a very different team to the one we saw uh, at, at the World Cup and, and the one we saw previously at, at Euro 2016. Um, but, yeah, very, very disappointing. Had a bit of a rally early in the second half without ever seriously threatening to, to lay a glove on, on Belgium. Um, but, yeah, a perfect start for Belgium. And, and, you know, the fact they were able to do it without so many key men, you know, shows what a, what a formidable prospect they are. Well, booze from many of the Russian fans in the stadium at St. Petersburg, but... Same was true even before kickoff when uh, Belgian players took the knee. Uh, the Russians didn't. This kind of ongoing controversy of people effectively booing people protesting racist behaviour, which pretty hard to justify. A uh, lot of work being put into just explaining why that is an extraordinary position to take. The FA, the English FA, ahead of England's game against Croatia, putting out a video and another statement following Gareth Southgate's uh, very well-worded uh, open letter to England uh, last week. But uh, th this looks like this is going to be a story that's going to rumble on in the background of uh, Euro 2020. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it, it's pretty clear. I'm glad the FA have clarified or re-clarified this. You know, they have already made this point a number of times by doing it on the eve of the first game with a with a really good video as well, which actually included footage of, of the knee being booed by England fans, which I think was important. Uh, and just to kind of just kind of ward off the inevitable defence line that comes from certain people who who are desperate to find a reason that them booing taking the knee is acceptable to kind of ward that off at head and say look this is why we're doing it this is explicitly why we're not doing it and this is explicitly why we are so if you boo us doing that know that effectively you are not supporting players um you know the the, the last line of that fa statement is you know, they're going to do their best for you. Maybe you do, you do their best for them. And that's exactly, that's all they're asking for. All they're asking for is to be met at a halfway point. They're not asking people to agree with them. They're asking, asking people to respect other people's opinions, which is the least they can, you know, expect. Yeah, I mean, the, the FA couldn't have been clearer. Gareth Southgate couldn't have been clearer. The players couldn't have been clearer. It is, there is no... There are no grey areas whatsoever about why the players do this. You know, it, it is it is nothing to do with the the political organisation Black Lives Matter that, that people who are opposing this this you know this this movement point to with their ridiculous uh, arguments about Marxism and, and defunding the police. That is not something that has entered into the heads of any of the players who who are doing this, and anyone who tries to pretend that it you know that it has. Um, is, is is doing that to justify their own motives, which we can only speculate on, given that you know we know that this is a an anti-racism uh, initiative. But there is an uneasy feeling. It, you sort of feel like the battle lines have been drawn in a way. And I know that you know before kickoff, 
against Croatia, there will be a feeling of, of um, you know, of apprehension. Um, you know, I, I desperately hope that, that it isn't booed and we can just sort of get, get on with the game. But, you know, we saw what happened before those two games in, in Middlesbrough. And you, all you can do is, is hope that the message has got through um, and, you know, and, and keep explaining to people who haven't got the message what the message is and, and, and why the players need to be supported in doing it. Um, and, and hopefully, you know, we won't be we won't be talking about about, you know, the players being booed for taking the knee. We'll be talking about a, a moment of solidarity before what will hopefully be a, you know, a great football match. Mm, nicely put. All right. We'll talk a little bit more about England, Croatia later on. But earlier on Saturday, Tom, in Baku, Wales came from behind to grab a point against Switzerland, courtesy of six foot five Kiefer Moore, former lifeguard, throwing the Welsh a lifeline after Briel and Bolo's opener. What do these commentary words mean, Tom? Uh, I believe that's a reference to the fact that at Euro 2016, when of course Wales uh, reached the semi-finals, uh, Kiefer Moore was on holiday in Los Angeles, mm. uh, sitting by the pool in Los Angeles. In, in the words of the uh, the S4C commentary team. Very nice. Uh, the Swiss may feel a little bit unlucky to only take a point from this game. Is that fair? That is entirely fair. Um, and the slightly uh, croaky nature of my voice uh, probably betrays the fact that I was uh, shouting at the at the screen uh, at the venue where I watched the game with a with a, a degree of frustration. I mean, Wales started very brightly first five minutes and then it was basically all Switzerland. Um, mm. And I wonder in hindsight whether Vladimir Petkovic, the, the Switzerland coach, possibly regrets the decision to withdraw Jordan Shakiri uh, when Switzerland were were 1-0 up and, and on top of the game. Although having said that, Wales were, you know, starting to get back into the match at that point. And yeah, I mean, Kiefer Moore pops up with uh, a pretty undeserved uh, equaliser um, in terms of the, the balance of the game up to that point. Uh, but a, a fantastic result for Wales. And it means that if, if, uh, if Wales now go on and beat Turkey on Wednesday, that, that's basically them uh, into the last 16. Uh, but yeah, not a, not a particularly... Uh, uh, convincing performance by Robert Page's man. Although his big picks worked out well, no, because you were discussing before the game the fact that a lot of the fans were pushing for Kiefer Moore. He was more likely to go with a a false nine. Equally, Danny Ward, his choice between the sticks, put in a a man of the match performance. Ward is a, a very strange case in that he uh, even weirder than the Hal Robson Carnu. Um, Kind of exception at Euro 2016 in that he was signed by Leicester from Liverpool in 2018 to be their reserve keeper and has very much remained that reserve keeper because Kasper Schmeichel has been ever-present. I think he's played, come right in saying he's played 15 matches in all competitions since 2017, uh, Danny Ward. So not just impressive that he was very good because he is a good goalkeeper, but to come in and be that you know, that good from the off to make those saves in your first game of the tournament is is mightily impressive. I thought he was, well, he was he was easily Wales' best player uh, and he kept them in the game. There, there was a, the save from Brilembolo 
second half when Breland Miller kind of just wriggled through on goal before scoring his first goal where he flicked the ball over the bar and there was the one that from from a shot that was actually offside but Ward didn't know that where he tipped the ball around the post and yeah fantastic I mean I agree with Tom Wales will I assume consider themselves very fortunate but but consider that as a real get out of jail card because as as Tom says if Turkey play like they did against Italy and, and Wales can get a result against them, they've kind of skewed the, their way into the last 16 from a position of pretty abject concern at 65 minutes. Yeah, some concern in about 80, 83, 84 minutes as well when uh, <laughs> yeah. Gavranovic uh, found the net. Thank goodness for VAR, Tom. Well, indeed, always been a big fan of VAR. Always, always banged the VAR drum. Bloody, bloody, bloody love the thing. Um... Yeah, I uh, much like Robbie Savage, I was convinced he was offside from the moment uh, the the shot hit the back of the net. So it was it was Gavranovic, wasn't it, who, who ghosted in, uh, and I was watching it at uh, a place in Hackney Wick in East London called Hackney Bridge on a big screen with other Wales fans, and there were lots of heads in hands. But I I declared loud and clear from the off that it was offside, and then thankfully the video replay backed me up. I mean, it it would not have been. Uh, it would not have been undeserved had Switzerland ended up uh, getting the win. Um, and mm. yeah, just just to briefly go back onto some of Rob Page's selection decisions. I mean, picking Danny Ward uh, paid off. As Daniel said, he had a fantastic game. Kiefer Moore obviously scores the scores the equaliser and an equaliser that felt like a winner given what had happened up to that point. But I wasn't I wasn't sure about all of his tactical choices. I mean, Wales one of the the pre-game talking points is whether Wales were going to go with a back three or a back four. And they went with a back four, despite Switzerland playing with a two-man strike force. They had Harris Seferovic and Briel Mbolo playing up front with Shakiri just behind them as a number 10. And it meant that they were just going up man for man against Joe Rodon and Chris Meppham, the two Wales centre-backs. And what happened an awful lot was that they were able to pin their marker and then either spin them or, or you know, or, or play a pass to a teammate. You know, Mbolo did that repeatedly. Um, and as well as Kiefer Moore did uh, with the equaliser, he barely had a kick all game. You know, Wales found it really difficult to get the ball to him in dangerous areas. And um, it, it felt like the only Wales player who was really making things happen was, was Dan James out on the left-hand side. who had a really good game, you know, put in some fantastic crosses. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, that there's no, there's no disguising that, that Wales... You know, got off the hook with that equaliser, um, but I think sort of the overall shape of the game will have given Page quite a lot to think about, uh, and I I wouldn't be surprised to see um, some kind of uh, you know change, whether that's tactical or to personnel before that Turkey game. Right, Turkey game coming up on Wednesday, and the same day Switzerland will be trying their luck against Italy. Next up for us, it's a look ahead to Sunday's matches. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We're all driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
you can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. Paddy are offering a free £5 bet builder on all of England's group games this Euros. T's and C's apply, so find out more at paddypower.com or on the Paddy Power app. Sunday day three of Euro 2020 begins with the first game from Group D. That's Croatia, England, the favourites entering the fray. Then at five, it's Group C with Austria facing North Macedonia in what is the Macedonians' first ever tournament game. And at eight o'clock from that same group, Netherlands begin their campaign against Ukraine. Frank de Boer, known, of course, for his brilliant starts, has already called this game as a 3-1 victory for the Netherlands. So, uh, excellent. Let's start off, Daniel, with England against Croatia. So it begins. So it does. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the the format of this tournament is such that there, there isn't that much, or there shouldn't be that much jeopardy on this game. Uh, and that's kind of how Croatia have been talking about this. You know, it's no disaster if you lose this because you've still got two chances against the third and fourth seeds in the group. And England have been pretty rotten in their opening games of tournaments. I think they've won five of 23 since the 1950 World Cup and two of the last they've nine. They've never so won an opening game at the Euros. Indeed not. And I suspect it will be cagey and tense. The worry for Southgate is that for some reason the mood around the camp at the moment is that if England don't win that opening game because there are so many options in the final third everyone that doesn't play would automatically have their reputations increased by two or threefold and there will be a clamour to kind of pick all the young star attacking stars in the next game and that's a really hard thing for him to manage so for that alone he needs a win but England don't need a win a draw is a, a perfectly good result in your first game, in a format in which three teams can go through and two definitely will. Um, I, I, yeah, I'm, I, I, I don't have huge expectations in terms of entertainment value, I have to say. OK. Croatia, very familiar opponents, of course. But to find out a little bit more about how they come into this game, we spoke on Friday to Croatian journalist Juraj Verdoliak. Here's what he had to say. When we spoke before the 2018 World Cup, you were telling us about the pretty extraordinary build-up that the team was having with problems with the Croatian FA and, and Luka Modric facing jail time for perjury. Uh, it seemed a particularly difficult situation. Croatia went all the way to the final. Uh, this time around, what's the big question that's dominating kind of the media and, and, and fans' thoughts ahead of the kickoff? Well, the whole issue with the Mamic brothers and their case is still on pretty much. I mean, they're fugitives at the moment in Bosnia and Herzegovina, both of them. They're not really out of the picture, but still they are out of, out of sight, so to say. So it kind of helped the team to turn more towards purely football terms now at the moment. The biggest question is how will Croatia react to the recent crisis or, and the recent dip in form, which is pretty much 
lasting for quite a while now. And um, the other thing is how will Croatia react uh, now that they're not really able to sell themselves as underdogs anymore? Because, you know, clearly they're not really that type of underdogs anymore. And perhaps the position they're in will make the team be more proactive on the field to take the initiative, not perhaps be as reactive as they were in Russia, where they used to break down their opponents with quick counters, with good pressing and avoiding their, the opposition pressing. So it will be interesting to see how will Croatia, um, what position will Croatia hold at this tournament now, mm. after the 2018? Yeah, it's interesting, the, the whole underdog business. World Cup finalists three years yeah. ago, but then terrible in the Nations League yeah. more recently. What what happened between to, to cause that slump? Uh, well, uh, first of all, there's been quite a lot of injury issues as well. I mean, uh, Shima Versalko, the, the right-back who featured regularly in Russia as well, um, I believe he only had 20 games after the World Cup. He was really mad with injuries. And there were a lot of shifts, some big names leaving, like Mario Mandzukic, the goalkeeper, Daniel Subasic, Ivan Rakitic. They've all retired after the World Cup. But still, we do have those uh, seniors in the sides as Luka Modric, first and foremost. But uh, Dejan Lovren, uh, Vida, Perisic, they're all still pretty much here. Uh, so the Croatia was fairly easily conceding after the World Cup. They had a big defensive issues, first and foremost. They had issues defending set pieces and crosses. And it was an issue that it couldn't really be easily solved. And I don't really believe that we have still solved that issue uh, fully because we're still conceding quite easily. And the general transition from the... You know, it was an aging squad in Russia as well. So now we're introducing some younger players. It's taking time, but we're still managing to include some younger players in. Some of them may very well feature in this tournament already. So, you know, that transition as well is what kind of, we say in Croatia, we have a saying like it was a child disease. It was a what, right? Uh, It was like a child disease. (laughs) Uh, the, the, the kind of diseases you often get as a child. Like chickenpox or something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, right. We use that as a term, like it's something when, when something is taking time, like it's fairly still developing. Okay, I think <laughs> I get that. Generally speaking, although the squad is quite aged and, and, and the record hasn't been good of late, but at club level, Croatian players have done really, really well this season. Yes, they have. I mean, um, Luka Modric was included in the team of the season in Champions League, even though... Real Madrid didn't make it to the all the way to the end, but still it proves that he's really, it's kind of this really resilient type of player. I mean, he's already, everyone believed that he'll retire after the World Cup in Russia as well, but he still keeps on going very strong and he's still the biggest name and the best player in this team. But also, you know, you had the likes of, uh, in terms of success, you had... Dominic Livakovic, Tottenham fans, fans may remember him from the clashes versus Dinamo Zagreb. He's mm. also bound to make a big move somewhere in Europe this season. This is most likely his goodbye from Dinamo Zagreb. And now this tournament also is kind of like a chance to prove himself to some potential suitor. Kovacic also won the Champions League. This is actually his fourth Champions League title. <laughs> <laughs> he matched Luka Modric in those terms. A lot of success in the club level. And that's important for self-esteem i guess going into this tournament yeah so how do you think it's going to go then on sunday 
Well, I actually don't expect an exciting game. I mean, um, in my opinion, both teams will try to avoid defeat first and foremost because it is the opening of the group stage and no one really wants to go into the next round with the burden of the defeat. And I think also there's going to be some, I wouldn't say outright calculations, but there are suggestions that the second place actually opens the draw more in a more favorable way in the long run. So it would be interesting to see whether that will influence the caution of both teams. I expect a cautious, really cautious uh, game where, especially for Croatia, where they have to get a result to kind of prove themselves once again, the resilience and prove to the world that the, the crisis of the result is a thing of the past and they're once again good at a major tournament. Well, there you go. You're either Doliak there, 2018 World Cup semi-finals. Do you, do you think back much to that? Do you, Daniel? Uh, weirdly, no, in that my, my overwhelming memories of that tournament or the lingering feeling I have from that tournament is one of positivity. And therefore, I guess I don't dwell on the fact that we we ultimately lost to a team that we probably could have beaten and were ahead against. Uh, no, I remember the the penalty shootout far more than I remember the defeat to Croatia. I see. But there are doubts over this England, and, that, and that's natural, but when you look at the talent available, this is a team that could set this tournament on fire. Tom, is that fair? And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. No, completely. Um, and that's why it will be fascinating to see which starting 11 Gareth Southgate goes for. I don't think there's ever been so much uncertainty around an England starting 11 going into the opening match of a major tournament. On the one hand, you've got the injury doubts. You know, Harry Maguire, Jordan Henderson, two key players. I mean, Maguire would be a definite starter if fit. Jordan Henderson, arguably two. And then we don't know which of all these, you know, uh, extremely exciting attacking players uh, are going to start. I thought Steve Holland's comments yesterday, I think it was, were quite interesting. He was talking, this is uh, Southgate's assistant, uh, talking about the need for balance and warning about the dangers of trying to play fantasy football. And he, I think he used the example of Argentina at the 2018 World Cup and he sort of listed all the, the attacking players in their squad. And of course, we saw, you know, they collapsed against France in, in the last 16. So that to me is, is a sign that actually England are probably going to approach this quite cautiously. The big risk when you play Croatia is whether you're going to be able to stop them passing the ball around you. Because although, you know, Ivan Rakitic has moved on, Modric is still there, Brozovic is still there, you've still got Rebic and Perisic on the flanks, Nikola Vlasic, you know, this, this young, exciting attacking midfielder who's, you know, the sort of the new dynamic spark. And, and they are a team 
who are so comfortable in possession, they can make life difficult for almost any opponent. So I suspect there will be quite a lot of those sort of star attackers left on the bench because I think I think a big objective for Southgate and his coaching team will be to try and, you know, match up against Croatia in midfield, stop them, you know, just settling in, into a passing rhythm and making sure that whichever forwards are aligned by England have got a platform to perform on. Well, a crowd of 22,500 are waiting at Wembley. Hope they're all right-thinking folk. Should be an amazing atmosphere anyway for that game. So that's the opening match of Group D. Uh, Group C also gets underway on Sunday. The Sunday night game could be a real humdinger, actually. Holland taking on Ukraine at 8 o'clock UK time. Finally, we get to see the Netherlands, as I should call them, at a tournament seven years on. Uh, I looked up their last major tournament appearance uh, and it was the third place playoff at the 2014 World Cup. They beat Brazil 3-0, a team containing Robin Van Persie, Iron Robin, Dirk Kout and Ron Vlaar, just to give you an indication of, of how long ago that was. I mean, some of the players are still kicking around, but that, yeah, that does feel like a, like a different age. Indeed. This one's going to be 3-1, says Frank De Boer, as I mentioned. He did a little kind of in-the-back-of-a-taxi interview where he offered his group stage predictions. A bold move, I would say, for a new national team manager. He said 3-1 against Ukraine, 2-1 against Austria, and a 3-0 win against North Macedonia. But being a smart fellow, he then went on to qualify that by saying, but if we come first in the group, we could face Portugal, Germany, or France. It might be better to be second. We've prepared all possible scenarios. Um, do, you want, do you want to call this 3-1, do you think, for the Netherlands over Ukraine? I, I'm actually really interested to watch Ukraine because they feel like th- there's a layer of, of dark horses which people always talk about and then there's a layer of countries that don't even get a mention and Ukraine seemed to fall into that category but they qualified really, really well mm-hmm. and Shevchenko has got this team which he's very happy nobody is talking about. I I think so far there's, there's uh, other than Denmark, Finland, in, in extenuating circumstances, there's there's not really been an upset yet. No, we've seen Italy win three 0 and Belgium win three. I think this one, I think Ukraine can get something here. I'm not surprised to see Frank de Boer uh, backing his team to concede goals because that does appear to be one area where they could be in trouble, given that they're already without Jasper Sillerson, first choice goalkeeper, Virgil Van Dijk, the most important centre back. Matisse de Ligt is a doubt with a groin injury. Daley Blint is due to be uh, assessed, I think, before the game. And, you know, we have seen them let goals in of late. They let two in against Scotland. They lost 4-2 to Turkey in World Cup qualifying. I mean, when I... I think this is probably what happens when, you know, with almost every iteration of the Dutch national team, you, you tend to be drawn to their attacking players because they always produce such wonderful players and they've got players who are in great form. You know, people like Memphis mm-hmm. Depay, Frankie de Jong as well. Um, but, yeah... Uh, I wonder whether whether Frank de Boer might regret being quite so open about his belief that his team can't keep clean sheets because there are certainly players in this Ukraine team who could um, who could exploit the gaps at the back. Yeah, but there are some talented ones for the Dutch as well. As you mentioned, Memphis Depay is arguably one of the tournament's most informed players. Twenty-two goals and twelve assists for Leon last season in an orangey shirt. Seven goals and three assists in his last seven games, and he grabbed three goals. He got both of those goals in that 2-2 draw with Scotland and, and also bagged one in a 3-0 win over Georgia. Woof. Well, it should be quite a game and not all the matches have entirely caught fire thus far, some of which, as you say, for very, very extenuating circumstances. However, this one looks pretty lit Sunday night. 
Mm. The other Group C game may pique your interest as well, listener. Austria taking on North Macedonia. That's at five o'clock Sunday. In Bucharest, both teams looking for their first ever tournament win. Macedonians for the very simple reason that they've never been to a tournament before. To find out more about them, we spoke to Macedonian journalist Philip Mishov again in an interview recorded before Saturday's events. Philippe, thank you so much for, for joining us. Uh, North Macedonia's first ever tournament match. How excited are you? Well, uh, it's been a tough few days, uh, the past ones, actually, because it's hard to get to sleep with the, with the game so close and the match in sight. And it's now uh, 24 hours till our first game. It, it will be also hard to put my, my hat on a pillow tonight because uh, this is what uh, dreams are made of. And... Uh, I want to experience that uh, thing. How how is your national team to to score a goal in a major tournament? We haven't felt that, and uh, it's a an unknown experience for us, an unknown feeling, and I'm I can't wait to uh, to feel it and for Macedonia to score the first goal and what happens from then on. It's it's probably a history. Amazing. Well, possibly you get the chance against Austria. North Macedonia are very much the lowest ranked. A team present in the tournament, 62nd in the world, directly behind Congo, Democratic Republic thereof, and Burkina Faso. But also, uh, Macedonia, authors of one of the biggest recent shocks in international football, when you guys went to Germany and beat them 2-1. What a night. Yeah, that that was an extraordinary game because uh, nobody gave us a chance, but... Uh... Uh, because I follow I follow the national team for so many years and I know the players and the manager. I knew that uh, something like that was uh, in sight uh, that was going to come because the boys played really well over the past couple of years and uh, uh, they never felt like losing in that game against Germany. The mentality, the determination of the players uh, was really ace because... Uh, you can see it uh, from from the defense to the mid- midfield and to to Pandev in 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 attack that they were determined um, to show the real quality of of this team and uh, uh, that did wonders for for our national team and its confidence and uh, there is a huge euphoria right now here and uh, everybody is confident and pretty optimistic. Now, it, it, you wrote a very interesting article for the Athletic actually. Despite that success, uh, the manager Angelovsky's been under pressure, a lot of talk that he would actually lose his job. Yes, uh, it, he was close one or two times, but uh, the players are behind him and it's really hard for the for the federation to, to, to do such things because uh, Macedonia has never ever seen a more uh, national team with uh, such a strong chemistry between the players and uh, such a strong bond. It's a tight-knit uh, group and it feels... Uh, like a real family. And if you ask me five or ten years ago if we think Macedonia would be at the Euros, I would have uh, left with you and uh, because uh, the national team was at such a bad place and no one uh, set a target for Angelovsky to achieve this. He alone uh, set a target of going to a big tournament with Pandev and uh, that winning mentality between them just pulled the others in the group and they achieved this together. Okay, speaking a little bit of those others, Goran Pandev, I guess, very much the, the father figure of this squad, but then you've got uh, people like Alef Ilmas of, uh, of of Napoli, 
who's, who's a, can be a sensational player. A, a guy that you're very excited about for, for the kind of world to, to get on board with is, is it Enes Bardi? Yes, Enes Bardi is actually one of our key players in the national team and he plays his trade at uh, Levante right now, but I believe uh, he's ready for, for a bigger team, for a bigger move. And uh, he, he is a deep-line playmaker, but can also play... Uh, further up the pitch and has a great vision for a final pass. So this is this may be the springboard for him to, to make a, a big move in, in another bigger club. Maybe I would say Atletico Madrid would be perfect club for him. But uh, hmm. uh, let's see what uh, happens after the Euros. And uh, Bardi is not alone in this bracket because Elmas is another one, as I said, and I keep saying it, uh, that he is the one who we believe is the successor of Goran Pandev in the national team. And uh, I know him actually personally, and he is a very determined young boy. And it's uh, a real pleasure to, to get to know him and uh, to find such a young boy devoted to making uh, greatness and to achieving great things. And he is 100% focused on, on his career and on the targets with uh, Macedonia and Napoli. Brilliant. All right. Well, the next target is very much Austria, who beat uh, Macedonia twice in Euro 2020 qualifying. Obviously, then the tournament was delayed for a year. So what do you think about your chances against the Austrians? This squad has developed greatly since then. And uh, I believe we have now more mature players. Uh, the the older ones uh, have uh, passed that experience uh, to the younger ones. And it's uh, a lot, lot better, better uh, group, and uh, there is more quality in this team. And I would say Macedonia really does have a chance of uh, beating Austria if we showcase uh, the emotions, the display, the quality that we showed in in the past year. Uh, Austria is uh, maybe a narrow favorite, I would say, but uh, that doesn't mean anything because Germany was a favorite against us. But we saw the final result didn't show that. Philip Mishov, lovely stuff. Yeah, Austria not exactly putting the wind up uh, Macedonia then. I note that Austria haven't actually scored a goal in their last three games, which include a 4-0 thrashing by Denmark and a 1-0 loss to England. Hmm. Tom? Yeah, I mean, it feels like a potential upset. Uh, Austria in, in pretty wretched form, as you say. I think they've only won one of the last six games. Um, never won a game at European Championship. Haven't won a game at a major tournament since the 1990 World Cup. Uh, and North Macedonia, the chief beneficiaries of UEFA's decision to expand the qualifying process for European Championships and, and, and bring in a team from uh, the bottom-ranked league in, in the Nations League and I suspect people probably question the wisdom of that, but it's ended up with a team who would never have had a chance of qualifying for a major tournament in ordinary circumstances, getting their moment in the spotlight. And we saw from that that win away to Germany, that historic win away to Germany, what getting the opportunity to, to play you know, teams at your level and, and sort of develop your kind of competitive edge can, can do for a team. And I, I wrote a piece about... Um, supporting international minnows a couple of years ago and I was interviewing fans mm. from San Marino and Liechtenstein and uh, and the Faroe Islands and whereas I think when the Nations League was first launched there was a little bit of 
sniffiness about it and it had, you know, slightly confusing format that we all had to get our heads around. I think fans of, of nations of that sort of size and slightly larger nations like North Macedonia immediately felt the benefit because they weren't spending every international break just getting whooped by everyone uh, in, you know, across the continent. They were playing teams on their level, you know, competitive teams, uh, you know, competitive games. They were winning games. They were drawing games. There was drama. There was a sense of, of jeopardy and of, of possibility and, and, and North Macedonia being at this tournament is the sort of you know the the kind of end point of, of that process so yeah you know fantastic to have a, to have a, another new team in the tournament I mean as we said Finland's first match was was overshadowed by what happened with Christian Eriksen but it, you know we saw from some of the faces of, of the Finnish players during the national anthem their their pride you know that their, their joy mm-hmm. at being there you know I can you know speaking as a, a Wales fan I remember how you know how special that felt. Uh, you know the first game in uh, in Euro twenty sixteen, um, and yeah, I think the fact that Austria's form is 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 um, is a little bit ropey, and and you know that North Macedonia have got that incredible victory against Germany under their belts in recent months means that they you know that, that they might even have a chance of pulling off an upset. Be amazing, wouldn't it? That's five o'clock then on Sunday afternoon, and of course, Totally Football Show will be back on Monday morning with the latest from all of those games and a big look forward to Monday's action. Daniel, you're going to be back for that as well. Yes, crowning England's glorious 1-1 draw with Croatia. Should be good. Excellent. Doing a Frank de Burr there, I see. Uh, Carl Anker will be <laughs> joining you. Uh, I won't be, but the great news is that Matt Davis-Adams, who knows what he's talking about, will be in the hot seat chairing uh, the discussion for a day or two. Excellent. Uh, I'll be looking forward to that. Do make sure you join us then, listener, for now. That's it for today's edition of the Total Football Show at the Euro. Tom, many thanks to you and Daniel too and producer Charlie. And above all to you, listener, I hope you have a terrific Sunday and we'll catch up with you soon. You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, an athletic media company production. Keep up to date with everything Totally at the Totally Football Show on Twitter and check out our latest subscription offers by heading to theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is sponsored by Paddy Power, who are offering a free £5 bet builder on all of England's group games this Euros. The Athletic.